Welcome back to Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. This is the show where I interview writers and artists working in comic books and in other mediums. Now, you're probably saying to yourselves, Chris, what are you doing back? I thought you were doing every other Thursday. Well, last Thursday was a holiday here in the States. It was the 4th of July. So last week's interview with Cameron Diordio about Charlie's Angels versus the Bionic Woman was a special treat. It just so happened that the holiday fell on a Thursday, and so I did an episode that Thursday. So this week, my guest is Jeremy Lambert. He's the co-writer of Doom Patrol. He worked on the previous series with Gerard Way, and Jeremy explains why this series is starting again with a number one. Does it negate everything that happened in the last run? No. But it's a good jumping on point, I know. Some of you will be disappointed that it's not continuing with its numbering. But Jeremy's going to explain that. There will be different artists working on this series. We're going to talk about who they are. It all works in the overall plan that he and Gerard have for Doom Patrol. There are some challenges writing for different artists, and Jeremy is going to explain what those challenges are. Of course, Jeremy and I both enjoy horror films, so we're going to talk about some of our favorites. We're going to talk about some of the films we've seen since we last spoke almost two years ago. And when I kick back with the creator, I find out what was Jeremy's oddest job. And it might be the reason why, to this day, he still wakes up very early to begin his writing. So sit back and relax. If you're driving, keep your eyes on the road. But enjoy my conversation about Doom Patrol. Both the comic, the television series, some of our favorite horror films, and what Jeremy's been up to. Here now, on Creator Talks. Jeremy, welcome back to Creator Talks. Hello, hello. How's it going? It's going very well. I appreciate you moving your time back up. I can never get that straight to have a discussion today. I'll tell you why. Because as we were talking before we started the show, I moved. I'm closer to you now. I'm in Las mm-hmm. Vegas. We're out in California. We're close. And well, relatively close, right? I mean, I see yeah. signs to Los Angeles driving to work, which is kind of cool. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So we moved into the house and we said, let's get some of the flooring done because it's vinyl and let's put in some tile. You know, we can do it. Let's do it. All right. So today the contractors came in to put the tile in and these guys, five guys, they're still here. (laughs) So if you hear some noise, (laughs) they're like, boom, bang. I mean, like before my wife even gave them the deposit check, they came in, tore up the carpet. They were starting. They don't mess around. So the house is in utter disarray after we oh, just no. said last night, I feel like we're making progress. And like the washers are in the bedroom. You know, and so the reason why I moved us back was because the kids have to eat dinner and well, you can't use the kitchen. <laughs> so, hey, listen, it's important. You gotta yeah. But enough about me. What's up with you? You said you were uh recently shooting in San Francisco and you've been super busy. Yeah, no, it's crazy. I mean, I, uh, my day job is producing uh, films for a company called Breakwater Studios. So what we typically do is uh, head out on, on documentary shoots around basically around the globe at this point. It can be a bit crazy with the schedules because obviously I'm still writing comics the whole time. So, you know, I think Goosebumps was a tricky one because I was finishing up those scripts at about like, like 3 a.m. or so in oh, Halifax, man. Nova Scotia. Uh, which is, oh, and then, you know, call times like 4 a.m. So you're like, we're just <laughs> doing the best to get it in by the time you have to head out. But um, it's good. Now's the time to do it. It's fun. It's it's very crazy, but it's it's a lot of fun. Have you worked on any documentaries recently? Anything I should look out for? 
Uh, yeah, we actually just had one at Tribeca. Uh, it was, it's called That's My Jazz. It's about the story of a pastry chef, a world-renowned pastry chef. His name is uh, Milton Abel. And uh, his father, who's a Kansas City jazz legend, it, it explores sort of his relationship with his father and how it conflicts with having a real sort of a dedication to your work and to your family. And if you can have both and what that costs in a lot of ways. But it's a short film. Uh, it's about 14 minutes or so. And it just premiered at Tribeca. So we're all really excited about that but yeah that's pretty much the new stuff on the doc side of things all right you've been busy yeah really really busy <laughs> and now you got this comic coming up doom patrol with gerard patrol. Way. yeah it's back yes. it's coming back july 3rd feels like ages but i mean we've been working around in the background just because you know obviously we're both well aware of the the issues with doom patrol getting to the shops on time so <laughs> we took an approach along with dc that you know we're going to get all the scripts in prior to any announcements or any release dates or anything like that. And then once that happens, we can sort of move forward from there, get the art going and all that. So I know you worked on the last issue. So did Gerard communicate to you his plan directly and say, hey, Jeremy, I have an idea. Next arc, let's do this. Uh, yeah, it was actually, it was a really organic process because I started helping out on Doom uh, with about issue nine, issue 10 uh, is when I came on board. And uh, my capacity was mostly just sort of like script assisting. But then once 12 came in, we co-wrote that together and we work out of his office, his studio. Uh, so we're in the same room at the, you know, writing on a, on a live document at the same time. So it's it's a real fun, organic process. And it just allows a lot of back and forth and a lot of creation in the moment and things like that. So, you know, by the time we were talking about the next arc, which was kind of about the same time with with issue 12 and. And Way to the Worlds, we were already discussing the possibilities for that. And he had some ideas that we fleshed out together and, and sort of approached it that way pretty early on. But yeah, I mean, we've, I guess for the past probably it's almost seven, eight months at this point, um, we've just been knocking out all those scripts. So it's just going to be so much fun. It's a different approach for both of us, uh, especially for the doom that Gerard's been doing with, obviously, with Nick uh, Darrington uh, for volume one and volume two. But uh, with Volume 3, we're, we're sort of keeping the old guard together as well as bringing in a bunch of different uh, folks for this one. And it's all in service of the format that we're taking, which is uh, sort of a monster of the week uh, type deal that are going to be bottle episodes, bottle issues that have an, uh, an underlying story throughout that links everything together. That's a, a strong sort of cohesive glue to the whole thing. But it, it's really allowing us a lot of new opportunities and freedoms with characters and with storylines and things like that. So that was the real big sort of impetus behind it. I've talked to collaborators before, co-writers, and it's not often that they're in the same room collaborating. So yeah. that is amazing that you can actually do that and really does, I'm sure, make it, like you said, much more organic since you can just like start batting on ideas real time. That's one of the big things for us is just having that space. I mean, very rarely, I mean, sometimes there'll be, you know, uh, some certain like lettering drafts or passes or something like that where we aren't in the same space. But for the most part, I, definitely when we're scripting the first draft and the second, uh, the revisions that normally go to final, we want to be in the same space because it's worked out really well, especially with the, you know, a story and with characters like Doom Patrol, because how many different directions something can go in, but making sure that we have 
that heart to the piece that we want to make sure comes across in each issue. Now to you, who is Gerard Way? What is it like working with him? I mean, obviously you said organic process, but if mm-hmm. you had to summarize it, the kind of writer that he is and collaborator, what would that be? How would you describe that? Interesting. It's always really funny because we got to know each other through Warhammer. <laughs> so we're just two Warhammer nerds that met on Twitter. But um, I think the story basically goes, I was painting something at the time that I posted it on the internet. And I think Kieran Gillen retweeted it or something. And and Gerard um, saw it and, and reached out and basically just said that he wanted to play some Warhammer and, and didn't know a whole lot of people in L.A. <laughs> Uh, that I could play. So that's how that started. And we were friends. Uh, we are friends. And we just get together and game all the time and play Dungeons and Dragons. And so I mentioned all of this just because our first real experience storytelling, would I would say, is RPGs. We would collaborate on, on RPG stories and things like that just for our friend group and and approach it that way. So by the time Doom came along, we were already very comfortable with each other and each other's sort of storytelling sensibilities. And it worked out really well because, you know, especially to be in the same space and to have done it with as open-ended and as open world as, as an RPG is, it gives us a sort of a sandbox to play in. And, and that's the way we like to go. Maybe it's just a holdover from gaming. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's <laughs> why we're in the same room still. And we just, you know, I don't know. But it definitely helps both of us because... Even though we're working on a live document, being able to go back and forth, you know, in person about something, because if you let it, Doom Patrol can get quite heady and get quite intellectual and you don't want to take it too far in that direction because it's you start sacrificing a lot of the emotional core of either the characters at the moment or, or whatever it is, because that's one of the biggest draws for both of us is just how much heart is in Doom Patrol. And a lot of people are just like, oh, it's weird. It's crazy. It is all those things, but it's all that as the dressings and the trim around what we we really wanted to make it about. It definitely helps on that front, I would say. <laughs> That's who he is as, okay. as a collaborator. It's just uh, someone that goes back and forth and doesn't laugh at insane suggestions. I want to just go back a bit because you mentioned something, a term that I'm not familiar with. Bottle format. Mm. What is that? I guess just enclosed and uh, standalone <laughs> is, okay. is what we used to call with screenwriting. It was just if there was a bottle episode in television, it would be like the fly episode in Breaking Bad. Or it would be like, uh, to a lesser extent, like once more with feeling from Buffy or Hush in a way. I mean, it's it's something that contains all of the characters or most of the characters that you know and love, but takes a complete break from the overall story, the overall sort of uh, driving dramatic force. Normally to give you a bit more sense of where these characters are in their lives or uh, what they're going through or some kind of an insight to their character that's going to come very much into play uh, later down the line. But for the most part, it's a, it's almost a reprieve. Sometimes it can be looked at as a reprieve from if something's particularly dramatic or particularly serious or or, uh, a bit more grim dark than you'd like. You can sort of pull back and just contain an episode 
um, with Breaking Bad. That's one of the best examples. I do remember the fly episode. Yes, yeah, the fly episode where it's just you look at it and you go, OK, so the whole episode is about the fly. Great. OK. You know, it's just like because you're waiting for that A story to kick in or even a B story. But you're stuck with this D story of this fly. And you're like, oh, we're here the whole time. OK, great. And then you're along for that ride. They can be really fascinating storytelling devices. I, I think it's more, I guess, for our run, more akin to uh, a monster of the week approach. But there are standalone. Each issue is is essentially approached as a different hook and a different uh, problem that the Doom Patrol have to deal with. Obviously, we as writers add a good deal of cohesion to the story and to to the approach, but that's how they start out. So we got the format, and I like that monster of the week standalone mm-hmm. type storytelling. Um, that's how I got into reading comics. Was it was a little more standalone, so I can kind of get in there, and then mm-hmm. as the story expanded, you know, I was on board. But I think this sounds like for people that want to jump on board and start following Doom Patrol, especially with the success of the streaming series in DC mm, Universe, mm-hmm. that they'll want to be interested in reading this. And if it's, I guess, too far removed from what they see, and I'm not saying it should sync up with television, if it's too involved, they're going to be a little lost. Because I hear comic shop owners say that. It's like, oh, I want to read uh, Captain America now because I saw the movie. And they're not sure what to show them because it's not going to be close enough to what they've seen. They're a little yeah. lost, but it sounds like at least it'll be a little more approachable for newbies that want to jump on board and enjoy it. And just keep an open mind, folks. It's not going to be exactly what you've seen other places, television, but would you agree that it would be more accessible this go around? Very much so. Yeah. And that's something that actually the DC thought it would be a great idea to do a new number one. And we, after talking about it, agreed. It just made a lot of sense for Doom Patrol, Way to the Worlds, obviously to have that subheading, that subtitle, but also a new number one, and you can start with a new number one. And we didn't really factor in the effect of the TV show at all, because if I'm being completely honest, I was maybe I was just not trying to get my hopes up or whatever it was, but I was, you know, seeing the developments of the TV show, and I was just very sort of cautiously optimistic. I wasn't falling head over heels for anything, just because I don't know, maybe I just didn't want to be disappointed or something, but. I have to say that we had, I guess this was probably just about when Way to the World was almost finished. We, uh, or at least I, I started watching Doom Patrol, the show on the DC Universe uh, streaming service, and completely fell in love with it. It is one of my new favorite television shows because it is absolutely incredible. This What they were able to do is mind-blowing. I can't believe that they did all of those things in a TV show, and obviously being on a streaming service helps giving you a bit of freedom. But at the same time, looking at some of these episodes, seeing that they were actually greenlit by people in power is fascinating to me. So that's my little pitch for the show is that I'm completely obsessed with the TV show. And it's fun because you can sort of have it exist outside of the comic in a way, especially as we're writing, because Gerard watched it too, and is quite a big fan as well. And, you know, I guess we'd finished most of the work for what are the worlds by that point so there's there's not too much i guess that's informing the comic in a sort of roundabout way but we um maybe just a a love for the characters sort of a renewed love for characters that you might have gone in and out of or something i'm not sure but um but yeah it's it's really a fascinating show i'd say that it's obviously the timing is wonderful because we're able to share doom with probably more people now it being a number one but also it coming on the heels of the show being out all 15 episodes of the show uh being out so 
that I would completely agree that it's a great jumping on point for folks that maybe are a bit daunted by the the back catalog or, or whatever it is, but it's a good way to get involved and sort of experience these characters for the first time. We have fun little captions that will introduce the characters in, in interesting ways and in very brief ways. So it is a, a number one. I mean, we, it's actually quite funny because I still refer to them in the sequence of what they are right now. So like issue one is technically issue 13. So it is a new numbering and it starts with number one and number one comes out this Wednesday, uh, July 3rd, which always sneaks up on you. Um, but <laughs> but it's good. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting because I didn't know if we were going to be doing that or not, but it felt right because we weren't continuing with uh, a lot of the elements from arc two and how arc two ended. There are obviously still some holdovers, but it's not like we're falling right back into a continuing, um, you know, a story, I guess, if you will, that's the idea is that we're going to be able to explore a lot more with this. And, and that sort of serves that purpose is renumbering everything. No, that makes a lot of sense. Cause I know a lot of people sometimes like to see the series continue with the same number and they get tired of reboots. However, by the renumbering, it won't throw people who have seen the television show. And now there's more spotlight on it to the general public. They won't be lost when they see this. And for, you know, returning readers, they're going to pick it up and jump right in where they left off. So that's fine. It's not going to lose anyone. Yeah. So it makes sense. It makes perfect yeah. sense. There are a number of other creators working on the book. I guess this will also help with the release schedule by having different people collaborating with you. Like I've mm -hmm. seen Steve Orlando mentioned, Doc Shaner, Becky Cloonan. You have a whole yes. plan all laid out here. Tell me about this long-range plan you have set for this series. Yeah, so that's another reason why it felt appropriate to do a renumbering of everything was uh, Nick Darrington is on Batman with uh, Brian Michael Bendis and um, is currently on that book. So he's doing covers for the whole run for Arc 3 for Way to the Worlds. But for interiors, we have James Harvey on board for issue one and issue two. For the rest of them, I'm not sure if they've revealed it or not, but Doc Shaner, uh, Nick Patara, Becky Cloonan. The idea is that we would have a different artist on almost every issue and it would explore different characters, different worlds, and different people. I don't want to get too far into it. <laughs> I want to reveal too much. <laughs> I get it. No. But basically, it, it allowed us to follow through with that format and with that structure and sort of call attention to it and embrace it as opposed to finding somebody else that's going to start and continue throughout the whole time. We thought it would be a really fun way to approach it is to have different teams tackle these different scripts because we're most of the time we're dealing with very different settings, but also various actions and things that are gonna define each issue. So it's allowing us to play to the strengths of various artists and bringing everybody together under the weird Doom Patrol banner and hopefully giving them some like really fun things to do that they might not have had the opportunity to do yet or or anything like that. But that was an approach for Gerard and myself is to make sure that we embrace that sort of monster of the week approach and made it as Doom Patrol as possible. <laughs> I really like this approach because it gives the artists a chance to breathe and give their best and not yes. try to just hit a deadline because nothing breaks my heart more than when I see an art team set on a book and then something happens. Life gets in the way. People have things they're dealing with in their own life, personal life, and it just can't be done. So they have to have other artists come in and fill in in the same issue and it becomes a bit of a mishmash and yeah. the book gets out on time. And the story could still be great, but then the look and feel of it gets all kind of weird. They don't match. Like the artists I noticed that you have lined up have a similar 
feel to their art. In other words, mm-hmm. I mean, they're all a little different, but it's like if you were to take two greats, Jack Kirby and Neil Adams, and they were on the same book, it, you yeah. know what I mean? It's just yeah, like yeah. They're, they're masters at what they each do and do best. But together, it would look kind of disjointed. But mm-hmm. I see with these artists, they're in that kind of same sense of art that it's all going to fit very well. And focusing on a separate story throughout the series makes a whole lot of sense. And just even production-wise, it just makes a whole lot of sense. So I'm very yeah. happy to hear that. I mean, it's been really interesting for me because, I mean, for the most part, I've just worked with one particular, like for Goosebumps, for example, Chris Finoglio and I were on issue one, issue two, issue three, you know, and sort of creating a, a relationship and rapport and, and just how we were able to interact with each other and, and writing the script for the artist is is something that I really really love to do and I was able to do it with this one we just had to sort of restructure some things a bit but working with different artists and like I said playing to each artist's style and strength making sure that we write the script with them completely you know 100% in mind is a must for us but it also is is something that can be a bit jarring when you're doing notes on one and you go back to finish the other script and you're then jumping in for revisions or a lettering draft or pass on something and you're just sitting there like, okay, all right, yes, okay, now we're here and we're here, <laughs> okay, yes, good. Uh, but it's just like you just have to get just hit the reset button and refresh yourself every now and then because it's um, you just want to make sure that you're in the right mindset because you never want to just sort of gloss over the fact that you're working with X person instead of X person, you, you're instead of Y person. You just have to make sure that you're you're doing everybody uh, justice. And it can be a bit of a confusion at times, but it was it worked out really well. And I'm, I'm really happy with how everything's coming along. Now, you mentioned the television show, how both you and Gerard are fans of it, enjoyed mm. it. I haven't seen it all yet because I don't have the streaming service. And yes. I know that the first episode was out there, and it was limited time on YouTube. And, of course, when I scheduled, I screwed up completely, and it was taken oh, no. down. But oh, no. I thought I saw today. Is this right? It's going to be on Blu-ray? No, that is true. They are going to release it on Blu-ray. I think it comes out in October. I think I, I just saw that today as well. I just retweeted it. One of the writers, um, Shoshana Sashi, is on Twitter, and we follow each other and basically just fan out about Doom Patrol all day long. And she had just, I think, posted about that. And, yeah, it was um, – I think October is when it comes out. So there's that. And then there's also, you can do a free trial of DC Universe. You'd have to probably binge the episodes to get them all. <laughs> and, and maybe DC is going to come after me for saying this. But I mean, they have the free trial. What are they doing? I think it's something like a seven-day free trial or something like that. I'm not sure. But yeah, I think you could at least start uh, watching um, with the free trial. And I would highly recommend it because it's just, one, I've never seen anything like it with superheroes on TV or any medium, really. And then also, same thing, just in general. I, I've never seen any show pull this kind of stuff off. So I'm ecstatic with the fact that it was Doom Patrol and with such a, an amazing team taking such great care of these characters. Because that's the other worry, is that I was watching it come together and I'm just sitting there just like anxious, <laughs> hoping that... <laughs> that uh, you know, someone's going to be looking out for these people and caring about them as much as I do, as much as Gerard does, as much as anyone. But uh, that was very much the case, and it's wonderful. The free trial periods, I know a lot of places do that, and I'm sure that they're doing it because they know they have good content, a good plan, and probably most people stick, which is why they do yeah. it. Otherwise, they wouldn't right. do it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Now, with all this going on, you know, the series in the spotlight issue coming out with number one on the third, 
Are you going to be doing any promotion with everything else you have going on? Can you do San Diego? Will you be going any place to support the book? Yeah, yeah, I'll actually, I'll be at San Diego. So I'll be there, some schedule. It's mostly getting finalized right now. Nothing's too set in stone. So I'll be there and uh, most likely doing a couple things for Doom Patrol there that haven't been finalized yet. But uh, we are doing, I think this was finalized today, (laughs) judging by my inbox, but Chris Finogli and I are doing a signing for Goosebumps at some point, so we'll be there for that. But yeah, I'll be there for Doom. There's a, a few other things going on, but they're a bit more behind the scenes. I'm not sure uh, if there's anything else happening at San Diego that I can talk about. But yeah, San Diego, uh, don't have too many signings or anything popping up yet for Doom, but... As soon as that happens, I'm, I'm, I'll be sure to let people know. <laughs> I'll have to see about getting to San Diego now that I'm closer. Nice. Yeah, uh, it's know. a good drive. Yeah, really. <laughs> I mean, I never went to New York City Comic Con. i never been to San Diego. And I know mm. it's a big deal. It's a big show. There's a lot of media there. So it's not as yeah. small as the ones I'm used to going to. But it's something I can look into. But isn't that something where you have to reserve your tickets early i mean it's like a big process to actually get in there yeah there's a whole process i mean i would imagine it's a bit different for press and for professionals and folks that are in the industry in some capacity but what are you saying um i don't think i can pull that off (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure you could well they let me in and i like barely i don't don't think i was goosebumps was even out yet like oh you're like a one shot okay yeah go ahead but uh, i think there's a couple different processes for that but i'm not sure um you know how late in the game they allow it. But I would say with San Diego, honestly, I have a good time at San Diego. I have a good time in New York City Comic Con. I think the trick to it is, you know, making sure that you have a good group of people that are there and you're going to be hanging out with just because a lot of times plans fall through or this party doesn't work or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. It's my favorite thing is to just hang out with with folks I don't get to see too often, which is great because that's a lot of cons. We just see each other at cons. So (laughs) It works out. That, stay hydrated, wear comfortable footwear, and you are good to go. And take your vitamin C. Take your vitamin C. Purell. Make sure Purell. you wear your Purell. Oh, my God, yes. I mean, people have heard me say before, I've been hit with a concrete. You do not want that. No, Absolutely you not. Don't. Yeah, I think it was last year. I had a record, probably three appearances of Concrud, and it was just oh, not, not fun. I got it. It was like throughout the year, you know, it's just like Emerald City, San Diego, and New York. It just boom, boom, boom. But, uh, yeah. What is your um, your favorite memory of going to a con? You know, I mean, oh, I obviously wow. you see a lot of people, but was it somebody you were hanging with? Was it someplace you went? What was the best? Wow. This is a good question. I don't know. I'm trying to think. It, relating to Doom, the craziest experience that I had was Gerard and I were at, at New York NYCC. We, um, gosh, where were we? We were in some hotel bar and we were just sitting down and talking about the next arc we're talking about way to the worlds and we're just sort of hashing stuff out back of the napkin uh stuff and there's this scottish voice behind us and all of a sudden graham morrison shows up and uh and so it's yeah and it's just like me gerard and, and grant just talking about doom patrol and it just made like my complete world was destroyed i had no idea what to do with myself but <laughs> But uh, that was pretty incredible and, and a surreal experience. Yeah, I'd say that's probably the most recent one that comes to mind. That's tough to top. That's pretty, that, pretty amazing. Yeah, it was a really – that was something else. And obviously, Grant Morrison came over to talk to Gerard. Grant has no idea who I am. <laughs> <laughs> he does now. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's aware of me now, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> I just want to make it clear he was not coming over to talk to me. <laughs> 
um but yeah that was really fun and then yeah i mean i don't know I, i'm a big fan of cons of the people that are at cons and the people that put on the shows the good well-run shows and it's a recharge like it's just a creative battery recharge for me like a good con you know obviously there's somewhere you feel like you've drained yourself more than anything but seeing all those people interacting with people talking to creators fellow comic book fans who, whoever it is just is energizing when you're having some some good times like that and some good conversations so i'll always try and go to as many as i can and fit into a year but you know we'll see schedules do do have their say <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I mean, 2019 uh, has been tough for me. It doesn't look like I'm going to be able to do anything this year, but 2020, I'm definitely gearing up go. to do some stuff here on the West Coast. Yes, 2020. <laughs> you going to hit up Emerald City? I really love Emerald City. That is definitely on my list to do. Nice. Probably the first one I want to hit when I'm out here. Awesome. Yeah, it's such a good show. We're kind of uh, sliding into the fun questions, and I now call it Kicking Back with the Creator. And you've answered a lot of these before. Oh, and sweet. this time of year, you should be prepping for Halloween, right? <laughs> you're absolutely right oh wow i've been called out um because we talked yes, about you no, decorating yeah. last time and you go all out and you start early i mean i thought i started early I you start early i do start early oh man it's true wow that's it's what's really funny is that you know i've literally just been in a few shops buying halloween things so you you're right on the money but uh it's easy. I mean, Los Angeles makes it very easy because, of course, you have stores here that are basically just Halloween 24-7, 365, so you're set. But uh, but yes, prepping for Halloween, I'm always really excited whenever like the release of a book can time with Halloween or October or anything like that. So that's the sweet spot. And we just announced um, Buffy today. Um, I'm co-writing uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer Hellmouth event with my friend Jordi Belair. Oh, yes. Uh, Congrats. Yeah. And so thank you very much. So that it's we uh, just basically just been talking about all the Halloween things we want to do that are tied to the book. So uh, good call. <laughs> <laughs> Have you picked up any decorations recently? Anything new that you want to share with me? Ooh, let's see. I'm looking around my apartment right now. <laughs> um, you have a lot <laughs> there's, yeah, there's, I'm trying to think of what's new I mean I've got a, a wonderful string of pumpkin lights that I just got because you know you got to make sure you get those going on Absolutely. but I would say probably, probably that oh I would say this is related I have them year round but my girlfriend Mallory Romera introduced me to Birkin Hair Candles which is basically the most gothic candle company you could possibly think of and all of the scents are themed in some fashion, but they are incredible. Like just, I, I'm completely head over heels for these candles. So I bought like 20 of them and now they're all just sitting around the house. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they're, they're strategically placed so that I can get a little hit of Halloween or October whenever I need. <laughs> what is your <laughs> oldest decoration? Ooh, my oldest decoration. I have an Edgar Allan Poe, portrait the, and the eyes follow you when you oh, walk around the room nice <laughs> nice i like that so, <laughs> i'm gonna so put that, that in my I kids room the yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah so that i would say that's probably the oldest one i'm trying to think of, I, I got that in high school maybe um and i've had it ever since it survived the test of time since we last talked and it's been almost a couple of years now have you? Wow. Yeah. Can you? It was like August 2016, 17, 17. No yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. August 2017? Yeah. That long Oh, ago. my goodness. 
And since then, have you discovered any horror films on your must-see list or that you just kind of stumble over and said, wow, I haven't seen that? Like, for example, I haven't seen it yet, but the last time we spoke, you mentioned Eyes Without a Face. Yes. And you said it's usually showing on TCM, and sure enough, it's on there. So nice. I, so I, fl- I flagged it so I can watch it, and I was reading the description. I'm like, man, this is messed up. <laughs> it is messed up. It is messed up. Uh, the kids are not watching so that with me. Up. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, you don't want that. But I, I do love that movie. I'm trying to think. I mean, there's the obvious ones I think that everyone's seen, uh, like Get Out. Uh, I would say The Black Coat's Daughter, I would flag as well. It's called The Black Coat's Daughter. And it sort of went under the radar for most folks. I think it was because there was some kind of release issue. I'm not really sure how how that worked out and how that happened. But yeah, I would definitely check that out. I'm trying to think of others. There's definitely a few more that I've seen that have basically made me run and hide somewhere. I don't have any that are more recent, but yeah. I found some old ones that I had wanted to see, others that I didn't even know about, like I saw Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Whoa, nice. Yeah, I mean, that's oh, cheesy, but, you know, pretty cool. I wanted <laughs> to see it, and now I've seen it. And one I stumbled over, and I've mentioned this before on the show, but it's worth repeating, was the Aztec Mummy versus the Robot. And it's a what? Spanish film, and there were three of them. And the third one takes bits and pieces of the first two, like kind of reuses the film footage, kind of a narrative of how they got to that point. And it's this Aztec mummy that fights a robot. And it's a it's lot. right there in the title. Yeah, I mean, no mystery there. <laughs> and but it was, I was like, this is actually pretty good. I mean, it's like a B movie, but still, yeah. I thought it was fun. I watched it with the subtitles, and it just seemed to have more gravitas to me in Spanish. It was just really cool. So if you ever have a chance, I think I think TCM showed it. Yeah, TCM oh, right showed on. it in Spanish, which most times it's usually dubbed, which it looks a little mm-hmm. weird to me, and I want to hear it in the native language. So if you have a chance, it yeah, was I'll worth checking check it out. out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really oh, I would, I would say also, uh, once I need to write that down, actually. Hold on. <laughs> um, <laughs> Did you see The Terror, the TV series? I did. I uh, love that. That, that was, was so crazy. good. Yeah. I loved it. That was incredible. I mean, Kieran Hines can be in anything, and I'm going to watch it, but that was just absolutely incredible. Putting Kieran Hines in the Arctic, where you're basically having to film him on ships all day long, definitely hits on many chords for me. So <laughs> it's it worked out really great. But yeah, The Terror, uh, the AMC series, I would definitely say it was, it was in that category. I saw Night of the Comet for the first time last year. Also massive, massive fan of that. So that's an oldie that I had just hadn't seen yet. And then I'm staring at a Blu-ray of Dragonwick right now that I have not opened that I need to, but it is a Joseph Mankiewicz movie that I hadn't seen. I think it was his first movie with Vincent Price. Oh, It's a gothic romance. So we'll be popping that in as soon as I can, but I just haven't done it yet. I'm writing all these down. Oh yeah. Seriously. Yeah, Dragonwick yeah. is dragon and then W Y C K. Okay. <laughs> and then of course you've seen the terror, but yeah, night of the comet. Uh, I absolutely loved. And, um, and the Black Coat's Daughter. It's very... I'm trying to find a good way to describe... You know what? I'm not going to describe that movie because it is better going in than nothing. Good. Um, if it makes it, it more is, interesting, yeah, don't, don't yeah, spoil anything. I'll just go very, in there. I'll just say <laughs> that it is absolutely a commentary on dread and wow. how the building of that can be the most effective thing that you need in, in a film like that. So that's the most I'll go into it. <laughs> well, thank you for those because I like finding new films to watch, and I like the older ones too. So, 
Yeah. I want to check all those out. It might not happen right away because I have this huge list, but I will. <laughs> I mean, in the past year, and as I was telling my uh, audience, and I didn't reveal this until much later, I was uh, without work because my position was eliminated. Mm. Came out here to find a house with my wife who works from home and everything was cool. Yeah. So we said, let's just go out there. And I found a job out here. Like, boom, right away. Same job. Amazing. So cool, right? But in that time period, I watched a ton of films on TCM and stuff. I just like kept a list of all of these noir films that I watched and all these horror films I watched. And I was like, I've never oh, seen incredible. this. I mean, and I'm not, believe me, I'm not watching TV all day. No, but I mean, at night, I would sit down <laughs> and I would watch every single night. I would watch a movie. And I got caught up, so I will get around to it. <laughs> Believe me, hey, I will get around to it. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not judging you if you're sitting around watching movies all day long. That's the dream. I did that. I mean, that's basically film school. Um, but uh, uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I I completely get that. That's you know, that's how I honestly. That's how I learned before I went to film school or anything like that. That's how I learned you know how to make movies and and watched every behind the scenes feature that I could for mm -hmm. all these. DVDs on this tiny little 10 inch uh, screen that I had. It was great. That was whenever I could sit back and just sort of consume all of the things that are in my to read pile and the um, and all of my to watch pile, like everything like that. It's a bit tricky, but whenever you can take a big chunk and, and make a dent in that, you're you're doing all right. It's fun. I mean, I enjoy yeah. the extras on the DVDs, and when I watch something like TCM, they're not advertising, by the way. They're not paying me for this, but when I watch stuff like that, <laughs> you know, they usually have the host introduce the movie, tell you a few yeah. things about it. You see the movie, then they tell you some more about it, and that adds even more interest to it for me. Totally. To kind of know, like, okay, how did this whole thing get started? And they're just scratching the surface. They're just whetting your appetite to go out and try to find out more about how this thing yeah. is made. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. I mean, TCM is a national treasure. It's the best. Now, when you're writing, what is your jam? I mean, do you listen to music while you're working? Even if you don't, what's your soundtrack? What do you like to listen to? It's interesting. Uh, I So I make a playlist for each project just because, I mean, one, it's a great way to sort of get a, it's like a mood board, really, you know, <laughs> but it's also a great way to procrastinate. You basically just, um, when you're most excited about it, normally like when I just get something, when I get a call for something or when I, like a pitch goes through or whatever it is, I'll go down and, and I'll make a, um, a playlist for it. And what it typically does is just, you know, allows me to sort of get my get the emotional overtones in a playlist so that I can just, when I'm getting ready to write, just hit play and go make my tea or whatever and get into my, my routine before I, uh, I sit down to write. It just sort of gets you in the right headspace. I'd say that. So it's a bit different for each project, but it's helpful. You know, I mean, for the most part, I can't really listen to music that has words any lyrics it's mostly all film scores and things like that so i just have a massive itunes library of film scores all normally jumble in together you know i follow francesca francavilla and he mm. does the same thing he'll like post what soundtrack he's listening to while he's working i love that stuff i want to like maybe i'll just publish these at some point i don't know yeah. uh if anyone has any interest in my my <laughs> film score playlist um but it's really fun i mean i find it really fascinating to sort of get your especially when you have a, a grasp of what the story is going to be about, what the hook is for you, what the, the important emotional moments and elements for you, when you're able to translate that into a playlist, just the act of doing that can give you a better idea of, uh, of what you want to be doing, of the tone that you want to hit. So just 
trying to translate that is you is you accomplishing something, or at least that's what I tell myself because I want to avoid progress or whatever you know. But I, I do think that that's a real thing. So normally that's a, a research thing that I do a research night is anytime I have to look something up, I'll I'll be able to put the playlist on and and that sort of thing. If I'm really getting into it, I turn on a white noise machine. <laughs> yeah. Um, just because it's helpful. I don't know. It just sort of drowns out that editorial voice, I guess, you know, if I'm working on a first draft, especially if I'm just trying to crank away, I'll just turn on a, a white noise machine. And it's this, there's this wonderful one. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a natural fan in a cylinder so that it's not like a digital white noise uh, that you're listening to. Oh, okay. It's just an actual, just like a fan in a particularly shaped dome <laughs> uh so that it uh yeah it's crazy but white noise machines that's the trick <laughs> well you know, we actually do have one because my wife would always run the fan at night to fall mm. asleep and i'm like geez hun it's like 30 degrees out can we not run the yeah. fan? <laughs> so for her i got her a white noise machine for christmas i said here try this and she likes it excellent she uses it yeah yeah so now i'm not freezing well this is back on the east coast now i'm not mm. freezing <laughs> yeah you'll be fine over here <laughs> yeah oh yes yes we do run the fan and we're talking about music and listening while you're writing to stuff now in terms of jobs Outside of comics, outside of books, what is the oddest job you ever had? Something maybe you did while you were in school, something to get the bills paid, something a little mm, different. Yeah. Well, I had a crazy string of jobs. It was an honest job, however. I would, I would say is probably taking care of racehorses in Bowie, Maryland. Wow. <laughs> uh, when I was in high school, I took care of racehorses, and it sounds fancier than it is. You're just you're shoveling shit, um, but yeah, yeah, you know, it's just that, and, and cleaning the horses, and grooming them, and also warming them up and cooling them down. So basically, it's just like you know, walking them around quite a bit. But you're getting up at three o'clock because you know the horses. You got to be there at oh, four. Uh, and then you got to just keep going. Like I get up now, I get up at like four 30 or 5 AM every day. And that's sort of my own doing. <laughs> that's when I write and that's, uh, I write in the early mornings and I'm most focused then. So it's really nice, but maybe it's a holdover from this horse thing. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but that, that's just what you did every day. I mean, it was basically, yeah, it was five, sometimes six days a week and you'd be doing that and you'd work from four to 3 PM or 4 PM. So it's about, about a 12 hour day. And yeah, just taking care of horses. But yeah, you're just cleaning the stalls. It's just a lot of moving stuff around. Oh, yeah. Very physical. Um, a lot of physical yeah. work there. Yeah. That was definitely a, a tough one, but a rewarding one. And I will say that resources are not the kindest of creatures, and they would try and sabotage you at any given moment. Um, what did they but, do to you? Uh, what did they do? They <laughs> <laughs> just basically like tried to kill you. I don't know. <laughs> they, oh my god! Yeah, I, I was taking care of this wonderful horse named Silmaril, which blew my mind as a Tolkien fan. They named it Silmaril, and yeah, she tried to kill me about ten times. She tried to like shove you into a stanchion or like kick you or whatever. And it's just like most horses, like you're, you know, they're very sweet, but they're a bit more temperamental. But there are some lovely, lovely horses at that particular. Uh, stable at the ranch that I, I really loved, who were very nice to me, but they were not racehorses. <laughs> um, extras casting was a was a tough one. But yeah, I think probably the most honest job would be taking care of these horses on a ranch. Well, my final question, and we'll make this a fun one, a happy one. Happy memory. All right. What was your favorite birthday? Wow. Oh, boy. This is tricky because I'm coming up on 30. My 30th birthday is uh, in August. 
So ah. I got it. I'm still. Well, I know all exactly right. what I'm gonna do for that. I'm going to be <laughs> that could top them all. You don't know yet, do you? <laughs> Who knows? But uh, what's really funny is that I think I'm gonna be doing the same thing for my 30th birthday that I did on like my 12th, and frankly, is most of my birthdays to be real. But uh, medieval times. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was 12 years old, or <laughs> I think it was 10 or 10 or 12, my parents took me to medieval times and it completely blew my mind. It was like the year of Lord of the Rings. Gladiator had come out just a little bit earlier. I was fully entrenched in my obsession with everything fantasy, everything medieval, swords and sorcery, anything. And I had not heard of medieval times i was at the renaissance festival all the time but i was i had not been to been to medieval times and my parents took me there and just like that was definitely one of the happiest memories for sure and you know look at me today i'm still going to medieval times everything's great <laughs> i wish they had an annual pass but uh maybe i'm the only person on the planet that goes that much to allow for it but yeah i'd say that was that was a wonderful time it led to so much it just sort of fostered my love of fantasy, but also of medieval history and and medieval weaponry, and just being a geek about uh, Aragorn's sword, and and you know, freaking out about all kinds of stuff, and seeing how there's a person that had to get hoofs done for all of the horses in medieval times. All the people that had to like work to bring this silly medieval. <laughs> A dinner show to life you know it's just like the way that your curiosity leads you through all those different paths makes you realize you know it's like oh you could be a sword master someone that builds the swords for this thing or you could be this you know so it's uh another thing that sort of sparked curiosity so i'd say that's a really great memory yeah that's a defining moment in your whole life that's great <laughs> yeah yeah medieval times man i'll be the, i'll be there at the con when they have a booth and i'll just start handing out flyers jeremy lambert doom patrol coming back july 3rd don't miss it jeremy thank you so much for being on creator talks thank you so much for having me all right folks that's it for this episode i'll be back in two weeks i promised my executive co-producer mrs calloway it'll be every other week Spend some more time with the family, focus on the new job, but not abandoning the podcast in any way, shape, or form. Just every other week will be my episodes. Next up, Leanna Kangas. She is the artist on She Said Destroy, coming out through Vault Comics. We're going to talk about that book and her other work and talk a lot about cons and comics. We just kind of geek out for about an hour. So... Look forward to that in two weeks. Until then, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod. There I post my Saturday Silver Age and Sunday Bronze Age comics from my personal collection and interact with you. What are your favorite comics? What are you enjoying on television, at the movie theater? How's life going? Yeah, that's where you can tell me about it. I'm listening. That's what social media is all about, is being social. Hey, don't forget, you can check out the website, creatortalks.com. That's creatortalks.com. Mobile optimized, cleaned up. Easier now to find your favorite podcast, but you can subscribe through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, voice-enabled devices, and now on Spotify. Listen when you want, where you want, and how you want. Pause and continue. That's the beauty of podcasts. So please, for the others that you like, rate and review them. Give them a little love back. 
they really appreciate it. It lets us know that people appreciate the work that we're doing and they're enjoying the show and we're on the right track. And if we're not, straighten us out. Give us some feedback. Longer form messages? You can just email me at contact at creatortalks.com. That's contact at creatortalks.com. Well, I hope you got some great comics this week. I know I did. Dug around, picked up some back issues. I've been posting them on Instagram. I'm looking forward to this week's comics. You have a good one. Enjoy those comics. For Creator Talks, this has been Christopher Calloway. Until next time. Music